Hello and welcome to 5 at 8. I'm Mark Overman and joining me today is Linda Carlisle. It's Thursday, February 29th, 2024, and we have some great stories for you. In this episode, we will talk about OpenAI developing a new tool called Sora that creates lifelike videos from text prompts. Iran struggling to increase voter turnout for upcoming parliamentary elections. French government making strides to enshrine abortion rights in its constitution. Russian forces seizing villages in northeast Ukraine. And Wendy's clarifying its new pricing plan is not surge pricing, but rather a way to offer discounts to customers. Story number one. OpenAI has developed a new tool called Sora that can create lifelike videos from text prompts. This technology has raised concerns about the spread of disinformation through fake videos. Despite some realistic results, Sora still has some flaws, such as merging images and inaccuracies in details. The AI field is facing challenges in terms of copyright infringement, sound production, and bias perpetuation. Other companies like Google are also working on AI video technology. The ultimate goal is to enable novice users to generate visual content creatively and flexibly. According to Washington Post, this new tool has the potential to revolutionize video creation. Why, this is impressive tech, right? OpenAI's Sora, capable of generating lifelike videos from simple text prompts. It feels like we're stepping into some sci-fi future where we can create our own virtual realities. But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword. The same technology can be misused, creating deepfakes and spreading disinformation. Remember that viral fake photo of Trump running from the police? That's the power of AI, folks. It's both fascinating and a bit scary. The potential of this technology is extraordinary. But so are the ethical implications. Just imagine the chaos that can be caused by deep fake videos, especially in politically charged environments. It's not just about spreading disinformation. It can seriously erode public trust in our leaders and institutions. Right, Linda. That's why we need some form of regulation in place. And it's not just about preventing misuse. There are also copyright issues. Sora, for instance, is trained on videos scraped from the internet. Now that's a legal minefield right there. AI companies argue it's fair use, but creators might beg to differ. The whole idea of copyright law is to protect creators' rights, isn't it? The fair use argument seems like a weak defense when the original creators aren't receiving any compensation or even recognition. And let's not forget the inherent biases these AI models might perpetuate. They're trained on existing content, which means they could easily replicate the systemic biases present in that content. It's a complex issue, and we need a nuanced approach to address it. That's right. These AI models are only as good as the data they're trained on. So if the data is biased, the AI will be too. But despite these issues, the advancements are really exciting. AI has the potential to revolutionize content creation. Imagine being able to create your own personalized movies or video games. That's the kind of future we could be looking at. Certainly, Mark. The possibilities are tantalizing. But as we navigate this exciting new frontier, we must ensure we do so responsibly, with a keen awareness of the ethical implications. Balancing innovation with ethical considerations is the key. And it's a challenge we must rise to. Story number two. Iran is struggling to increase voter turnout for the upcoming parliamentary elections on March 1st. Calls for participation may go unanswered due to economic struggles, political distrust, and a crackdown on dissent. The elections will select the Assembly of Experts, which appoints the Supreme Leader's successor. 
Despite efforts to inspire voting as a form of resistance, record low turnout is expected. The government is using the Israel-Gaza war to rally voters, but many Iranians remain disillusioned with the regime and see elections as a mere show. International watchdogs criticize Iran for holding unfair elections and disqualifying thousands of candidates. The country's economic challenges and regional conflicts further deter some Iranians from participating in the upcoming elections. CNN reports that, Whoa, Linda, this news about Iran's election, it's something else, isn't it? I mean, they're trying to get people to show up at the polls, but the citizens are just not buying it. After all the political distrust and economic issues, can you blame them? I hear you, Mark. But I think it's essential to remember that it's not as simple as it seems. Yes, there are significant issues with the regime, and the economic situation is dire. But it's crucial to note that this is a country that's been isolated internationally. The sanctions imposed by the West have played a significant role in the economic challenges they're facing. Oh, I get that, Linda, but doesn't it feel like the regime is just using these elections as a propaganda tool? They've disqualified candidates opposed to the current government's hardline stance, and there's a widespread crackdown on dissent. I mean, it's hardly what you'd call a fair election. I agree, Mark. The situation is far from ideal. But you've got to consider that not all Iranians share the same viewpoint. There are different perspectives within the country, and some people might see the election as a chance to express their views, despite the limitations. Hmm. I guess you're right, Linda. It's easy to oversimplify these things. But still, the lack of transparency and freedom in these elections? It just doesn't sit right with me. I understand, Mark, and I share your concerns. But it's important to keep an open mind and understand the complexities of the situation. After all, every country has its unique context, and what may seem straightforward to us might be more complicated for those living it every day. Story number three. The French government is making strides to enshrine abortion rights in its constitution, with the Senate voting in favor of inscribing abortion as a guaranteed freedom. This move is in response to the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. The bill now faces a final test in a special Congress at Versailles. The public in France overwhelmingly supports abortion rights, and activists are closely watching the developments in the country. The government is aiming to make women's freedom to have an abortion irreversible by enshrining it in the Constitution, as reported by Washington Post. Did you see this, Linda? France is moving to enshrine abortion as a guaranteed freedom in its constitution. It's a bold move, especially considering the recent challenges to Roe v. Wade here in the States. Yes, Mark. It's indeed a significant development. The French lawmakers see this as a necessary response to the changing landscape around reproductive rights. The U.S. Supreme Court's decision to revisit Roe v. Wade seems to have acted as a catalyst for this. So, Linda. What's your take on the choice of guaranteed freedom over right in the wording of the bill? Some activists preferred the term right, saying it would compel the state to provide necessary measures for abortion. Is there a difference? Great question, Mark. The choice of words in legislation can have profound implications. The term right gives a more obligatory role to the state, requiring it to ensure the provision of necessary services and protections. The term freedom, on the other hand, implies more of a negative right, as in the state cannot interfere. But guaranteed freedom, the chosen phrase, seems to be a middle ground, implying a protected liberty that the state must uphold. Interesting. Now I'm wondering about the implications of this decision, especially with the rise of far-right movements in Europe. Poland, for example, 
has moved to further restrict abortion rights. Indeed, it's a complex landscape. This move by France seems to be partly a reaction to such restrictive laws, almost like a preemptive strike against any potential future challenges to abortion rights within France. It's also a strong signal to other countries about France's position on this issue. So, could we see more countries following suit, you think? Maybe even the UK, for instance? It's certainly possible, Mark. We are already seeing movements in that direction, like the Labour lawmaker in Britain pushing for a vote to decriminalize abortion. However, it's important to remember that each country's political and social climate plays a big role in how these issues are addressed. Story number four. Russian forces have seized three villages in northeast Ukraine, showing momentum in their advance. Ukrainian military faces ammunition shortages as they withdraw from villages to organize defenses. House Republicans are blocking $60 billion in U.S. military aid to Ukraine, worsening the situation. U.S. officials warn of dire circumstances if aid is not approved, as reported by Washington Post. Where we're seeing the Russian forces gain momentum, Linda, it's hard not to think back to the likes of World War II, where resource scarcities dictated the trajectory of the conflict. Just like Japan's oil scarcity back then, Ukraine's ammunition shortage is playing a pivotal role in the ongoing conflict. That's a thoughtful connection, Mark. It's really a testament to how resource dynamics can impact the power balance during conflicts, isn't it? Ukraine's situation is undeniably tough, with the ammunition shortage putting them at a disadvantage. And it's not just about the ammunition, it's also about the strategic advantage that Russia is gaining with each village they seize. While these villages may have little strategic importance on their own, the cumulative effect is concerning. It's a strategic chess game, and every piece, no matter how small, contributes to the overall position. At the same time, we have to consider the role of international aid. The United States' reluctance to approve the military aid package for Ukraine is a significant factor in this equation. Couldn't agree more, Linda. It's a delicate balance between ethical responsibilities and strategic interests. While it's clear that Ukraine needs help, there's also the question of what the ramifications could be if the U.S. gets more involved. Will it escalate the conflict further, or will it provide Ukraine with the necessary resources to defend itself? Those are key questions, Mark, and they highlight the intricate nature of international conflicts. Every decision has potential ripple effects, and it's important for global powers to carefully weigh their actions. It's a complex and challenging situation, to say the least. Story number five. In a report from CNN, Wendy's new pricing plan, which involves changing prices throughout the day, is not surge pricing as some media reports suggested. The company clarified that the goal is to offer discounts and value offers to customers, particularly during slower times. Dynamic pricing, not surge pricing, is a common practice in various industries to adjust prices based on demand. Despite initial confusion, Wendy's aims to provide discounts during off-peak times rather than raising prices during peak hours. This pricing strategy could mark a turning point in the fast food industry as technology allows for real-time price adjustments. There's a lot of buzz around Wendy's new pricing strategy, isn't there, Linda? It seems they've stirred up quite the debate about surge pricing versus dynamic pricing. What's your take on it? Wendy's adoption of a dynamic pricing model which adjusts prices based on the time of day, is interesting. It's not surge pricing, where businesses raise prices during high demand periods. It's about being flexible, 
offering discounts during slower times, and perhaps regular prices during peak hours. It's a way to maximize revenue, and it's used in many industries, from airlines to ride-sharing services. Right. So the idea is to offer discounts during off-peak hours when demand is low. But the public seems to have latched on to the surge pricing aspect. Do you think this might be a branding issue for Wendy's? The term surge pricing has negative connotations for many people, largely due to experiences with companies like Uber. So, it's understandable that Wendy's is trying to steer clear of that term. However, the backlash suggests that they may need to do a better job of explaining their strategy to customers. Right. And it's not just about explaining, but also about managing expectations. As technology advances, should we expect to see more of this real-time pricing in our everyday transactions? Quite possibly, Mark. With the rise of AI and big data, businesses have more tools to gauge demand and adjust their prices in real time. But as we've seen with Wendy's, there's a delicate balance to strike. Companies must be careful not to alienate customers with sudden price changes. So, while dynamic pricing could be a game-changer, it certainly comes with its own set of challenges. Right. It's a fine line between maximizing profits and keeping customers happy. It'll be interesting to see how Wendy's and other businesses navigate this in the future. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.